of our Ephesians um, series, and let me tell you, we're always excited about our series. If we weren't, we wouldn't do them. Um, but this one especially, uh, as we've been praying through it, we've really felt, I've really felt that God is using it to change the trajectory of our church, and I'm loving it, and it's exciting. And, um, and we started off, Andrew started off by reminding us that as we look at and we talk through and we look at what the truth of Scripture is about our identity in Christ, that when we truly understand that, it has the power to change an individual, to change a church, to change an economy. And I'm excited to think about that, that God will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And we want you to know that we've been praying big time for you this past week, especially. Because if you're like me, I was just telling Tyler this, but last week was like a spiritual high for me. I mean, Megan did an amazing job sharing her story. But not only that, it was a story of God's grace, of God's redemption in her life. And that every single one of us, no matter what your story is, is that if you're in Christ, God's holding your hand. And last week was a giant, big embrace for me. I don't know if it was for you, but it was for me because it caused me to really see. I mean, we had some amazing conversations after last week's, uh, after last week's service. And if you have not listened to that yet, go online, creeksidedm.com, and listen to that. God wants to meet every single one of us where we are at this morning and to reach down into your situation and into my situation and to, and to pull you in and give you a big embrace so that you can't help but shout out from the rooftops what God has done for you because he met you where you were at. Amen? Is that what God does in our lives? I mean, that's an amazing truth that is changing me, it is changing our church, and it's going to change our economy. It's going to change our community. And I'm excited about that. Anybody else? I'm excited about that. You don't sound very excited. That is weak. All right? All right? But we're going to continue in worship together right now. And um, we want to encourage you during this whole service is that this is a time for you, and hopefully you've been doing this throughout the week, but it's a time for you to just get serious with God in His presence with His people. And now, even as we sing this song, the offering is going to come around. But take this moment, take these moments in the presence of God with His people to be honest and tell the truth about yourself to your Savior. Because He will reach down and pick you up and embrace you in the moment that you are in and in the stage of life that you're in with all your junk, with the good, the bad, and the ugly, that is the gospel. That Jesus came down and loved us in the midst of our sin to redeem us and save us from all of it. And so take these moments, and after Kyle's message, we're going to have a, a time to take communion and remember what Jesus did for us. But even in those moments, again, Sometimes it only takes one moment to just have courage to walk up to somebody and pray with them or pray with your spouse. But this morning is another opportunity for you to get real with your Savior, to be honest about yourself and to see that in grace, God reached down and pulled you in and embraced you. And no matter where you are this morning, that He loves you 
and identity in Christ changes everything. So let's pray. God, we love that you're here with us now. We love that because of the cross of Jesus, you're always with us. We want to soak in your presence this morning. I pray that as we worship now, Father, that you would receive glory. God, that in these moments, for somebody new this morning, you would reach down, bring them in, hold them close, and embrace them. Father, we want to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. Meet us where we are at. We love you, God. We love you. We give to you now with joyful hearts for what you have done for us and what you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Let, let me read it to you. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's people, uh, His holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Let's pray. God, Thank you. We ask that you would meet us here this morning. God, God, what a truth that we have in you, in Christ, in your Son's finished work. God, we want our worship this morning to reflect that. We want our lives to reflect that. But God, as we gather here this morning, we hear from your word and we take communion and we worship you through song. God, help us to realize this worship should reflect that you are alive you are alive. So God, this morning, we ask that you would move in our hearts and our souls. And God, that you would do a work in us and take these, these beautifully wrecked people and God, just move us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I thought I was preaching pretty well. So I appreciate that. I, uh, this week... At work, there were several stories, several stories of people who were suffering, people who were going through difficult and hard times. And uh, listening to them, there was, there was one individual, she had lost her mom this week. Her mom had fell, 
Uh, she broke several bones in her body, and the next day she passed on. Another gentleman, his mom, older gentleman, also had passed on a two-day period. They both were sharing this story with me. And then I heard a story of a seven-year-old, and, and a guy in our office was, was talking about this, his seven-year-old granddaughter who had a tumor removed from her brain, seven years old. And there was a, another individual who has a three-year-old son, and his, his three-year-old son has a rare disease in which, from the time they brought him home from the hospital, had really no idea what was going on. But he, he didn't sleep much. He was crying most hours of the day and just unhealthy. And finally, through tests, now three and a half years into his life, had done all these tests, finally they discovered he had a disease. And there was only two or three places in the country that could cure it or at least help with, with the disease. And, and so he had kind of sent an email to my dad, and my dad had sent it out to our company and moved by this young man, this three-year-old named Tate, who was suffering, and his parents and his family suffering along with him. Heard another story where a six-month-old had, the, the dad had fallen asleep, the six-month-old child had rolled over, suffocated, six-month-old had died. A, a, a marriage, a life lost, a marriage destroyed, suffering. I think we know and we understand in this world, there will be suffering, won't there? There will be difficult and hard and trying times. It's a reality of life, and it's a reality of the world in which we live. We live in a difficult, dying world that has fallen apart. That's reality. That is reality. A broken, lost, hurting world. And until Jesus returns, until a new heaven and a new earth is created, it isn't going to change. Right? Death, the destiny of us all. Destruction for all of us. Our bodies are decaying. We live in a hurting and a broken, broken world, and there will be suffering. The question then becomes for us, when, when suffering happens, what do we look like on the other side of it? See, because suffering and hard and difficult times will come, but the result of the suffering that we go through, that's the question for us. What do we look like on the other side of this suffering? And Paul opens here in, in chapter 3 as he's talking. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he closes, verse 13, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul's suffering. And this portion here in Ephesians chapter 3 is a little different because he starts talking about this, that he is a prisoner, and then at the end he talks about his suffering, but then he kind of goes on a little tangent. And it doesn't really fit with the rest of Ephesians, but it's like, man, i got to let you know about this. Yes, I'm suffering, but here's what you need to know. He wants to encourage him through the suffering. He says, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, then many of your Bibles will probably see a little dash, is because like all of a sudden Paul's got this thought, oh, I better tell them this. I better encourage them with this. Because suffering can be difficult, can it? Suffering is hard. Suffering can try your faith. 
And Paul wants them to understand this. Okay, yes, I am suffering, and you can look at me, and you can say, you know what? This is a guy that loves Jesus. This is a guy that wants to follow him, yet there are struggles, there are trials, and there is suffering in his life. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about all that he's gone through, right? He's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been left for dead, he's been naked, he's been hungry and thirsty, out of work, shipwrecked. Paul has endured all this, and they have probably seen that he's endured all this, but he wants to encourage them. Yes, suffering is going to happen. I'm suffering now. But the question for us is, what do we look like on the other side of that suffering? And so here, he wants to encourage them, and he wants to engage them in this suffering. If you read throughout the Bible, you know what you see? You see people, trials, tribulations, and suffering, because we live in a broken world, a lost and a hurting and a broken world. And suffering and challenges and trials are going to happen. Go read the Old Testament, read through the New Testament, read Ephesians. It happens. And I've talked to some Christians who have tried to convince me, you know what, if we suffer or we're in pain and we haven't been healed, it's because we lack faith, right? But look what the Bible says. Look at the disciples themselves, 11 of them, right, martyred, killed for their faith. John was, they attempted to kill him. They, They tried to boil him, somehow he lives. But suffering happens even to good, godly people. Paul, right, Paul here, an apostle, suffers. It's, it's a part of life because of this world that we live in, a broke and a hurting and a dying, decaying world. Paul's message for them is not, you know, suck it up. Paul's message for them is not, oh, you lack faith. No, Paul's message is to encourage them, to build them up, because he knows that suffering can test and try your faith. Go through the scriptures and you see it. Go through examples in people's lives, and you see it. Look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a guy who you look in the book of John, the beginning of the book of John, he says, here comes Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Doesn't he sound pretty convinced that Jesus is the Messiah? Here comes the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Yet you go and you read in Matthew chapter 11. John is in prison, right? And we know he's about to be beheaded. And and listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, Are you really, speaking of Jesus, speaking to Jesus, are you really the one who is to come, or should we look for another? That doesn't sound like the same guy in first part of John, does it? A guy who says, Behold, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Suffering, trials, they rock our, our world. They test our faith. And I think Paul understands that, and Paul realizes it here with the Ephesians, here at the church of Ephesus. He realizes this. And so his encouragement in these next 13 verses is to show them who Jesus is and what the church is, and to be reminded not of the sufferings, but of who we are in Christ, who we are as a church in Christ. That's what the theme of Ephesians is. That's what the theme of our entire series is, who we are in Christ as individuals and as a community, as a body of believers, who we are in Christ. Suffering can shake our faith, and Paul knows that. Paul understands that, and that's why he takes us on this little tangent, this little sidebar here in Ephesians chapter 3. And that's what these verses offer. These, this first portion of Ephesians offers us 
Kind of a glimpse of this and Paul wanting to encourage and engage the church and these people here at Ephesians. So now we want to move on to verse 2 and we understand what Paul is going through. We understand the suffering that's taking place in his life, the difficult trials that are upon him. And so now he wants to encourage the Ephesians. And I love this part. I love it. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations. It has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs with Israel, members together of one body, the sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery. I love it. The mystery. Now, if you're like me and, and my wife, we, we enjoy good movies or shows where there, there's that mystery factor. Anybody like that? You know, like Sherlock on, on uh, PBS right now, those little things. There's the mystery, and we love trying to figure out these mysteries. There's a truth that needs to be revealed. And so you, you watch the show, and by the end, you're hoping that you have discovered what this mystery is, what this truth is. And that's this, this mystery. I'm not very good at it. I'm usually way off base. But there's a mystery that needs to be revealed. There's a truth that needs to be discovered. Well, when Paul, here in the Greek, when it's talking about this idea of mystery, this is something that cannot be discovered without God. Without the Spirit's revealing, you would never discover it. So I can watch a movie and watch a show like that, and little pieces will come into play, and I might get a glimpse of this truth that's going to be discovered. But see, the mystery that Paul's talking about, that without the Spirit revealing it, you would never understand it. You would never know it. But the Spirit reveals this mystery. It's the exact opposite. It's something revealed by God because you would never discover it. And this great mystery this great mystery is the grace of the gospel. It's a gospel of grace that God has given us. This is the mystery. This, this grace, this gospel, this, this fact that wrecked people can be beautiful. That people whose past are messed up can be made new, can be beautiful in the sight of God. Not, not because of what we've done or anything we've we've accomplished, but because of Jesus, because we are in Christ. And screwed up, messed up people can be beautiful. I look at Paul. Paul says it here in verse 8. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. Paul, a murderer, right? Paul, a guy who was wrecked, who was screwed up, yet the grace of God, this great mystery that God has revealed. And to us, it, it, that, that mystery doesn't always make sense. To us, it should be like, you know, the Ten Commandments are there, right? The Ten Commandments are never called a mystery. Because to us, that, that's what makes sense. If we follow the Ten Commandments, if we're good, or it's kind of like the golden rule, right? If we do these things, we should be okay. We should be fine. Do good, go to heaven. That, that almost makes sense in our minds. That if we do right, we do good, heaven is for us. But here's the problem. We go down that road, and it may work in our minds for a minute, 
or a little while. But after a while, we realize we don't measure up. We cannot measure up. We begin to be, to be helpless because we know in the sight of a holy and a perfect and a blameless God, we will never measure up. And this mystery of grace is what God has given us. This mystery of the gospel of grace is what God has revealed to us, that us messed up, screwed up people can be beautiful in the sight of God. We can go from sinner to saint, to lost to found, condemned to redeemed, from broken to healed. This is the gospel of grace. This is the great mystery that God has revealed, that His Spirit has revealed to us. So for us to live by the golden rule or live by the Ten Commandments, it's not going to work. We won't measure up. We will never be good enough because God's standard is perfection. We've been engaged, a few of us engaged in a conversation with an individual who, you know, through discussion feels that the only way, the only truth of the gospel is if we do exactly what Jesus has done, okay? He says we're supposed to do this, this, and this, and if we don't do it, we're not in him. And he told me and had the conversation with me that, you know what, you are not a friend of God unless you are doing this and this, and he started listing things off that we need to do. And I came back to it and I said, here's the problem with that, is that if I have to do exactly what Jesus has done, am I going to accomplish that? In this life, am I going to accomplish that? I will never measure up. I will never measure up. And the grace and the truth of this great mystery, this gospel of Jesus, is that, you know what, I'm not going to measure up, but thank God for Jesus. Thank God that I, in Him, am made beautiful. I, in Him, and now God looks at me and He sees His Son, Jesus. Not because of anything I've done. We go back to Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace we are saved, not by works. Not by works, and no one can boast. This great mystery, this great truth, is that it's all in Jesus. And I have failed, and I have failed miserably. And every one of us in this room, we have failed. Paul himself, I am the chief of sinners. I'm less than the least of these. Paul has failed. But the beautiful truth, this beautiful mystery, is that we got Jesus. We have Jesus, that in Him we are new, in Him we are healed, in Him we are no longer lost, but found in Christ, the beautiful mystery. And as ugly as my sin is, or as ugly as your sin is, or as ugly as Paul's sin is, we are new in Him, we are forgiven in Him, we are beautiful in Him, in Him, in Him alone. This is this great mystery of the gospel. And this mystery is something that, if we truly understand it, we should never tire of dwelling on it. We should never tire of thinking about it. We should never tire of gathering together and singing and worshiping Jesus because of it. We should never tire of, of taking the, the bread and the juice and remembering this great thing that He's done for us. This great mystery, the grace that He showed us. And when we think we fully understand it, is when we probably don't understand it at all. And when we marvel in it, and we dwell in it, 
and we realize how much more of this grace there is to discover, then we begin to know what it is. And as we do that this morning, and after a little while, we're going to take the bread and the juice. We want to marvel. We want to dwell. We want to think on what Jesus has done, this great mystery, this great grace that He has given begin to understand, we can't even begin to understand the depths of this grace that He's given. So this morning as we worship and we do and take the bread and juice, we want to reflect on that. But there's more for us. See, it's awesome. And I think for us, understanding this, this mystery, understanding of what Paul is going through, and then pointing us to this great grace and this great mystery of the gospel is awesome. But there's more. And we see it here, verses 7 through 9. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The goal in life for us as individuals, and for us as a church, is to make this great mystery of the grace of God known. This is what God has called us to. And if you think about the mission statement of Creekside Church, what's our mission statement? Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. This is what Paul is calling to the, the Ephesians to. It's what we are called to as a church, as individuals, as followers of Christ, to make known this great mystery to let the world know who Jesus is and what He's done. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. Goal in life is to make this great mystery of the grace and the gospel known. So the question is, how does this happen? This is where we come into play. It says this, His intent was that now, and listen to this, through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. How are we to make known this great mystery? It happens through the church. It happens through us as a body of believers. It happens through his church universal that this great mystery is revealed. See, God's ultimate purpose for the world and for people is to bring everything together in Christ. God's plan is everything together in Christ. We look at the world, and one of the greatest realities of the world is what we talked about in the beginning, that there is suffering, that there's war, there's violent crimes, there's racism, there's death, there's destruction, there's disease, a lost, dying, broken, decaying world. It's a reality. We understand it. We know it because we see it every day, that this world is broken. But what the church provides and the picture of the church is that what it is going to look like one day. F.F. Bruce said this about the church. He says, regarding Ephesians 3.10, the church appears as God's pilot plant for the reconciled universe of the future. Let me read it again. The church, speaking of Ephesians 3.10, appears as God's pilot plant for the reconciled universe 
of the future. God's plan, and if you go back to the garden, you go back to Genesis, his plan was what? Not death, not destruction, but relationships intact, lives not decaying, no disease, no hunger, no racism, no lost and dying world. His plan was unity. His plan was not broken relationships, lives that live forever, but then Sin entered the world, broken, lost, hurting, dying world. But God's plan, again, is this new creation, this new heaven and earth. He will wipe away every tear. Relationships are to to be as God has intended it to be. The world is to be what God has intended to be. This is God's plan. And the church now is to give a picture of that. So when the world looks at the church, they can see healed relationships. They can see people together, living together, in, in, as the world look at it, how these people live together. They come from different classes, they come from different races, yet together there's a, a oneness. You go back to John when Jesus is praying, he says, The world is going to know, he's speaking to the Father, the world is going to know that you sent me because my people are one. There's a oneness a unity, and the church is to be a picture of that, this oneness and this unity, the way that God has intended it to be and the way it will be one day again. Healed relationships, a oneness, a unity, and the church is to give a picture of that. Disease, death, hunger, our body is falling apart. We are dying, right? We understand that. My daughter wrote me a poem or some sort this week, and, and in it she was talking, and she, it was a Valentine's card. She says, Mommy and Daddy, I love Mommy and Daddy. I want to be with you forever until you die. <laughs> Thank you. But the reality is, right, we're all going to die someday. We know that. We understand it. It's one of the realities of this world. We live in a lost and a dying, a broken and a decaying world. That's truth. And the church is to be a beacon. The church is to be a picture of what it's going to look like one day. What's awesome about the church is that if you go back to Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy chapter 4, it talks about that if God's people follow him, if God's people obey him, He's going to bring His glory to the nations, right? All the world is going to see God's glory if His people follow Him. But what's cool about the church is that all the world is going to see it, but you know who else is going to see it? Listen to this. He says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So whereas the Old Testament, God's people, if they would follow Him and pursue Him and pursue His ways, the nations would see His glory. But now, the church, when we do that, when we give the world a picture of what it's supposed to look like one day, not only does the world see that, but the heavenly realms as well. The angels, the demons, they see it. We give them a picture of what it's going to look like one day when the church is carrying out their purpose. This is what God has called us to. And he gives us a picture of it right here when he talks about Jews and Gentiles together, that the gospel not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And the church is a picture of God's people, different areas, different realms of life coming together and sharing that same and common bond 
in Christ. And we know and we think about the church and we know it's to be a beacon. And we know when we look around at the church, universal, we know the church is messed up. We know that the church has screwed up. But Paul, he also knows that. You know, a lot of times we look back at the, the New Testament church and like, I want to be like a New Testament church. But you know what about the New Testament church? These churches were screwed up. They had more issues than, than a lot of you, and that's saying something. There were issues, no offense, there were issues in the New Testament church. There were issues. Paul recognizes that. He sees that, but he still knows the church is to be the beacon for God. The church is to show the world what it's supposed to look like, the way that God has intended things to be. This is what the church is supposed to be, and this is what the church is, and it's why it's so important for us to be involved in the church. The church is family. The church is culture. The church is friends. You think back to a lot of our beliefs and the way in which we live our lives. They were formed as kids, right? They were formed with our family, our friends, and the culture in which we used to live, in which we do live. I teach an ethics class, and in the ethics class, we talk about where do your ethics come from? And you know what every, what, every time what it is? Well, my family, my friends, the culture, those are kind of the top three things in which we, the ways in which we live our life is found in that, our ethics formed from that. And what Paul's saying here, now the, the church is to give us a picture of what it's going to be like someday. In the church, we have, what, a new family, new friends, a new culture. And we are supposed to live different and transformed lives, and that happens when we as a church live life together. I don't want to pick on Megan, but Megan shared last week, right? And you shared her beautiful, wrecked story. But in it, she, she talked about hearing a, story, a, a song, and then God began to do a work in her. But I think then you said you kind of went on doing what you had done before. And until she got into that recovery, and there was that family, and that accountability, and that new culture in which to live, she was living how she did before. And she spoke as well, and can apologize for picking on you, spoke again as she moved to Des Moines, and then they began to get plugged into the church here, began a, a relationship with Nick and Heather, and they talked about living in sin, but then a new culture, a new family, new friends. It is so important that the church is that, and we need that as a church. So we need programs like Megan was talking about last week with that recovery, we need our small groups for accountability. We need the men's group where we can get together and we can study and we can challenge and we can encourage one another. We need to be here on Sunday morning so we can hear from God's Word, so we can encourage and uplift one another, so we can hear how God would have us live our lives, so we can remember and think about what Jesus has done for us in the cross and remember Him in, his, in the bread and the juice. The church gives us a new family, a new culture, and we must be involved in it. The church is to be a picture of what it's going to look like someday when beautifully wrecked people can be made new creations, be beautiful in the eyes of God. We need the church. I want to end like this, and then I'll have the band come back up and We'll continue to worship together. We'll remember what Jesus has done. But Paul closes like this. 
He says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? It goes back to Jesus. What has been accomplished, not by me, not by what I have done, but in what Jesus has done. Accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Isn't that awesome? Paul, who says he's a prisoner, talking about approaching God with freedom. Who is Paul a prisoner of? He's not a prisoner of Rome. They've got him in chains, but he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. And freedom, with freedom, I can approach God the Father. Freedom and confidence. And I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are for your glory. Right? In Christ, a new creation. And now, because of what Jesus has done, I can boldly, with confidence and in freedom, approach God. And that's what we want to do this morning, is we want to remember what Jesus has done. We want to think on the bread and the juice and remember that I can go to God with confidence and with freedom because of Jesus, because of this finished work on the cross. Suffering. Paul says, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because my suffering's for you. Suffering is a reality. It's a part of life. But let me tell you this. The only suffering in life that could really destroy you is being cast out from God. Sufferings and trials will come, but the only one that can destroy you is being cast out from God. That is the only suffering that can destroy us. So I ask you the question this morning is, where are you at? Are you in Christ? Are you in Him? Do you know this great mystery of the gospel, of the grace that He's so freely given us? Are you in Him? Because if you're in Him, we're beautiful. We're forgiven. We're freed. We're healed in Him and in Him alone. Let me pray. And then we're going to encourage you to remember who we're worshiping. Remember that Jesus is alive and it should reflect on how we worship and what we do. And if you are in Him and you've experienced this freedom in Christ, this new life in Christ, we encourage you, come and celebrate it. Remember it in His body that was broken and His blood that was shed in the bread and the juice. Let's worship together. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for this mystery, this mystery that was revealed by your Spirit. This mystery that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, black or white, whatever it might be, we can be in you. We can have all the differences in the world, different classes, different backgrounds, but in you we can be one. God, we want the church to be a picture of what it's supposed to look like someday when there are no more tears, when there is a new heaven and a new earth and everything is as you originally intended it to be. God, we want to be that beacon. We want to be that pilot plant to show the world what it's to be. God, we want to lead people everywhere to devoted relationship with you. We want wrecked people to be beautiful. 
And we know that happens only in Christ. Only in Christ. Forgiven. Past doesn't matter. We're like Paul. Less than the least of these. But you have a purpose and you have a plan and you make us beautiful. So God, this morning we're reminded that it's only through Christ. Only by Him. Only by His name. Nothing else. Not by our works. Not by our accomplishments. But only by Him. What beautiful grace. What beautiful grace you have shown us. Let us worship Him this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the mountains fall and the tempest roars, you are with me. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. What, what an amazing thing that in Christ we can approach the God of the universe, a holy, perfect, and blameless God with freedom and confidence. And it's only, only through Jesus, right? Only through Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this mystery, the mystery of the gospel of grace, that somehow us wrecked people, us sinners, us people that don't have our act together, can, can even come to this holy and this perfect God, this awesome God. But it's not by us. It's not by anything we've done. Not by any list of accomplishments or great attributes that I have. It's through Jesus. It's in Him and in Him alone. God, thank You for this grace, this great mystery that was revealed to us. God, help us as individuals and as a church be a picture of what You have in plan for the future that we are this pilot plant, that we are to show the world this great mystery, that we are to show the world how you have intended it to be. God, help us to live in freedom and confidence because we know Jesus, because we are in him. God, send us. As that, that song said, send us out. God, here we are, send us. God, reign in us. God, we need you to do a work, and we ask and pray it in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming. <laughs>